0: Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that last week my family was on a pilgrimage to the magical world of Disney. It was an awesome trip. We had tons of fun. We were super lucky with lines and all that kind of stuff. So we were able to see pretty much anything that we wanted to see and do the stuff that we wanted to do. Now when you're there, one of the things that you absolutely have to experience is the fireworks show, right? Disney knows how to do fireworks. And the Disney fireworks show is all about wishes, right? When you wish upon a star, I wish I may, I wish I might, have the wish I wish tonight, right? All you have to do is believe in your wishes and all of your wishes will come true. It is this brilliant, emotionally manipulative song that is accompanied by explosive fireworks. It's absolutely beautiful, right? Now, it could have been that it was the end of a fairly exhausting but really exciting and fun day, or it was just fun to be with my family and really have some good, intense time together that we don't often get in our busy schedules. But for whatever reason, I was standing there, and I had my son on my shoulder so he could see the sights better. And we were listening to this song, and all of a sudden, I started to choke up just a little tiny bit. It was kind of embarrassing, because, I mean, it's a Disney fireworks show. So I was glad it was... (laughs) I was glad it was dark out, but but there's just something. I mean, they know what they're doing, right? You know, they know what they're doing at Disney. And it was almost as if for a moment I believed what they were telling me. Almost a moment I believed in the power of dreams, the power of wishes, right? All you have to do is just believe the impossible and you can do anything, which is awesome and a wonderful thing to believe. And even in that moment, I also knew, well, not always. I mean, certainly sometimes, right? I mean, we can do incredible things if we put our minds to it, if we wish and and think and hope and, and feel ourselves into it. We can do great things. In fact, I was standing in Disney World, a place built on the impossible dreams of an impossible dreamer, right? That's not always how it works out. And I know that. I know that, that that sometimes, no matter how hard you believe in something, no matter how much you wish for something to happen, no matter how much you hope, it doesn't always pan out that way. And so the question is not whether whatever you believe will come true, it's what's worth believing in. What's worth wishing for, hoping for with all our might. I was thinking about that this week as I, as I wrestled with this story of Jesus being rejected by his family and friends in Nazareth. I started to wonder what, what Jesus dreamed about. What were his hopes, his wishes? What did he believe in enough to give himself to? You know, one of the sad things about the Gospels is that we don't really know much about who Jesus was. Uh, As a kid, especially. In the Gospel of Mark, in particular, we don't even meet Jesus until he's a grown man coming to the River Jordan to be baptized by John. We don't know much of anything about who he was as a kid. I always wondered, what did Jesus want to be when he grew up? What What did he want to do with his life? What did he believe in? What did he care about? What shaped his little world? We don't really know much at all about him other than that at some point he came to know john that his mother was named mary he had some brothers and sisters and and that he lived in nazareth and followed his dad into the family carpentry business that's pretty much it i wonder i wonder how much he knew about what he was headed into how much he knew about what god had sent him for and when that began to shape his identity well, we don't know exactly, but what we do know is that at some point as he got older, he fell under the influence of a wild dreamer. A dreamer named John, a dreamer who was a prophet of God, a dreamer who wished and hoped with all his might that the world might know the one true God. And he went out to proclaim this this, this dream that God had given to him. A dream of a world shaped by God's power, not by our power or lack thereof a world that was shaped by god's power to forgive not by our broken histories a world in which anything was possible if it was truly placed in god's abundant and gracious hands he was a prophet of good good news and all all people needed to do to to understand and to participate in what god was up to in the world was simply to turn their heads That's what the word repent means. It's not about morality. It's not about saying you're sorry. Repentance literally means a changed mind, a turned head, open eyes, seeing the world from God's point of view and what God believes is possible for you and for the life of the world, seeing what God can do with people when mercy and justice overcome our fear and our anxiety. That That was the dream that John had and Jesus Jesus fell right into it, right? He and a whole bunch of other people jumped into the water and jumped on that gospel train. They were excited about what God was doing in the world, about this kingdom that God was building, a kingdom to beat all the kingdoms of the earth, a kingdom in which all could live truly in peace, a kingdom built on God's grace, not on our dreams of glory. It was an amazing thing and Jesus got on board and he started to share with John's ministry what, what John was up to. started to tell that wonderful story. He started to invite other people into that dream and what it did was it eventually gave him some power. Power from the Most High. He discovered that not only was he a messenger but he was the message itself. Not only did he proclaim the kingdom but he himself was the foundation of the kingdom itself. And that power began to heal and to forgive And to overthrow the powers that that commanded and bossed and boxed in God's people. And it was awesome. And it grew like wildfire. And people gathered to see him everywhere he went. And then, for whatever reason, Jesus went home. Went back home to Nazareth. I don't know if mom was sick or maybe a friend from high school's kid was having a bar mitzvah, whatever, he ends up going back to Nazareth. And when he shows up, he does what Jesus does. He begins to preach. He begins to tell them this mighty story of God. And, and he begins to share that story in both word and deed and begins even to, to start healing and forgiving and standing people up again on their own two feet by God's abundant grace. But something happened. They didn't care. That They didn't want to listen to him. They couldn't hear him. They wanted nothing to do with what he brought. They took great offense at him, shut their ears, and eventually shut him out of town. Why? I and mean, there's nothing in what he's saying that is openly offensive. He's sharing them the good news of God's. Abundant life. Why? For whatever reason, they couldn't hear. And they rejected him in his own hometown, his own family, his own neighbors, his own friends. And that rejection, it brought up in Jesus' mind a fairly painful and fresh memory. A memory of that mentor, that friend, that brother dreamer, John, who had baptized him into this story to begin with. About how when John got a little too close to the bone, when John started speaking God's truth to the powers that be, when God when John started talking about the kingdom in the house of the one who already thought he was king, John got himself rejected too, imprisoned, and eventually beheaded at a dinner party. How delightful. Why? Why such a a harsh and negative response to such a good and gracious thing? I mean, why be so refusing to listen to one who brings you the good news of what God is able to do in your life and in the life of the world? It's so weird. Unless I begin to ponder just how hard grace really is, receive. You know, grace is a great thing. It's an awesome idea. It's very hard to actually live because grace unravels the very tapestry of the stories of our lives. Grace unbinds all that binds us up It tears to pieces all our assumptions about who we are, what we're capable of, what we've done or left undone. It it begins to turn all that stuff over and lay it instead into into the hands of God who can weave a new story for you and for the world. A story grounded in God's goodness, not in your failure to be good. And that is good news. But the problem is we know our story. They knew Jesus. They knew Him as a kid running around in his diaper in the backyard. They they knew this Jesus. And they knew the life that they had come to settle for. Why? Why would they say no to God's good grace? Because grace means that the whole future is now open. And I know my past. It's not always great. A lot of it I don't really want to look at it, but at least I know it. But to really enter into the waters of a story in which anything truly is possible and not bound to what I have come to be comfortable claiming for myself. That's scary. And so they turned their heads. John lost his. And his friends came to lay him in the tomb. Which is not the last time that will happen in this story. just a few chapters, Jesus' own dear friends will gather up what remains of his body and lay it in a tomb. That place where stories come to an end. Where nothing else could possibly be possible. Except. Except. There is no tomb that can hold the goodness of God's grace. For grace is relentless. Grace is unbridled and unbounded and cannot be stopped. Occasionally stifled or stymied or stumbled, but never, never stopped. And that, friends, is the good news for us this day. And it is shown to us right in the middle of this difficult chapter in Jesus' lives. Right in the very center of this chapter, and biblical scholars will tell you anytime there's something in the middle, pay attention to it. That's where your attention should be. You see, right in between these two bookends of Jesus rejected at home and John losing his head in Herod's palace, something miraculous happens. Something that's totally pedestrian and awesome and amazing. And that is Jesus... Sends his disciples out. That's all. Two by two. Tells them what not to pack. Sends them out with his own power and authority. Tells them to have fun. To know that they won't always be welcomed, but keep on trucking anyway. He sends them out. To trust that God knows what God is doing. Now, it's a pretty normal thing. Just a good business strategy if you're looking to grow a church, right? Right? However, this is right in the middle of all of that painful rejection of what God is doing in the world. A time when Jesus, if he were any other person, probably would have just sat down and said, you know what? Forget it. They don't don't care. They don't... Listen, they don't want what we have to offer. Maybe we need to retool the strategy. Maybe we're not telling them what they need to hear. Maybe we're not telling them what they want to hear. we got to figure something else out. He could have been disappointed. He could have even given up. But in response to our rejection, God's response is to reach out even more. In response to us turning our heads away, God's response is to unleash grace even more fully into our lives until we have to pay attention to the story that God is weaving for us and for the world. Until we have to let go of the stories that have bound us. The stories that are not life-giving, but at least they tell us who we are. God will not stop until those stories are unraveled and woven together by God's grace and glory alone. For grace is relentless. It is relentless. It is the force that will eventually turn all things upside down from an empty tomb to the story of your own life to the world in which we live. God has unleashed in the world the power of God's grace. The kingdom is born among us and it is growing whether we want to see it or not. And eventually, by God's grace alone, God's dream will be possible and it will be the only thing that tells us who we really are. And thanks be to God for that.